And I know some of you clap, but didn't Gretchen do a great job? Isn't she a great, great job? Love that. I do have some discipleship to do with her, though. She's wearing Vikings gear, so we're going to work on it. Don't worry. I've, I've got some cowboy guys on staff, 49er guys on staff, and so we all need Jesus. We're all on this journey together. And so uh, grace upon grace. So, no, love, uh, love that Gretchen's a part of our staff and what God is doing. I want to remind you again, we're in this series called Be and Make. And our vision is to reach the world for Jesus one person at a time. I hope you hear this every single week that it sticks in your head that you're like, yes, this is the reason we exist primarily as a church for those who are not yet here. So if you're new, we're here for you. So welcome. I'm glad you're here whether you're watching online or you're in the room right now. Which means, though, that our mission it doesn't end just when somebody accepts Christ. It's actually a continuation of that journey, which is to be and make disciples. And our process that we've come up with here is what we call our ABCD discipleship pathway, accept, belong, contribute, and disciple. And I need to tell you, last week we talked about accept. We kind of kicked this series off. And at DNA, which took place after services, I had a, a, a gal come up to me and say, I have to share with you my story. I was like, okay, this is a perfect week. We're talking about accepting and sharing. Love to hear your story. She said it was a number of months ago that I was just scrolling through social media, and I found out that you guys had just built an indoor playground. And so my kids are right at that age, and so we showed up. And my kids had such a good time. And then when it was time to go, they looked down the hallway, and they said, Mom, what is that? And so I had to ask what that was. And they said, well, that's what we have for kids for the weekend services. And so the kids immediately looked at me and said, Mom, I want to come to services. I want to come to church. And she hasn't been in church in years and years and years and years. And she goes, I guess, you know, because I love my kids, we'll come to church. Well, she came for two weeks. Last week was her second week. She accepted Christ and she got baptized. It was so cool to see. I was like, what? And she was so excited. She's like, I have to share. I have to tell other people about it. I asked her, I said, can I share this with others? She goes, absolutely. But last weekend, God is up to something. Because as you can see by the cross that started over, we already had 14 baptisms that you just saw in the video. That was just last week. That's at our men's retreat. That was in youth group. That was here at services. And as you heard, also the one at Riverside. And so God is up to something. And I just excited that you and I get to be a small part uh, of, the, of what he's doing. So with that being said, as we kick off today, I want to remind you of what many of you are aware of. We're in the midst of an epidemic, and it's not COVID. It's an epidemic of loneliness. It's affecting millennials and Gen Z more than any other U.S. group in history. Just to be clear, millennials are those people currently aged 27 to 42, Gen Z are those currently 11 to 26. In fact, just to give you some background, uh, our society is becoming more and more aware of this health crisis because Cigna, a health insurance, actually did a study that came out just a little while ago and found out some heartbreaking things. They found out that young adults, those who are aged 18 to 24, are twice as likely to be lonely then seniors, also called boomers, age 66 and above, whether they're single or not, twice as likely to find themselves isolated and alone. And yet, we have entered into what's called the digital generation. And we have access and connecting points with more people more often than any time in U.S. history. And yet we find ourselves, conversely, as one of the loneliest generations in U.S. history as well. 
In fact, the study goes on to say that more than two in five adults, 42% of 18 to 34-year-olds checked the box when they said they either always or mostly feel left out on a regular basis, compared to 16% of those age 55 or older who say the same. See, lonely people struggle far more, not only with this issue, but with our mental health as well. It's part of the mental health crisis that we have. And whether they've been diagnosed or not, what they have also studied is that lonely, lonely people are increasingly growing in their stress, anxiety, and de- depression at an alarming rate, uh, even if they've not been diagnosed and are not currently receiving treatment. It's weird that you can think you can come into a crowded room like this and still feel very, very much alone. It's by no accident that solitary confinement, even for the most introverted person, is still a form of almost torture, if not brutal to the extreme. Not only does it affect our mental health, our emotional health, but it also affects our physical health if we're this lonely. Harvard Business Review just cited this study that said social isolation is associated with the reduction in lifespan, similar to that caused by smoking 15 cigarettes a day. That's what they're discovering today. Again, this is not from a Christian perspective. I haven't even started that down that road yet. This is for us to understand. In fact, nations of the world are recognizing that this is a major issue. Are you aware that in the United Kingdom, they actually created a cabinet, a ministry position at one of its highest level? And here's the title, the Minister of Loneliness. Look it up. In the cabinet in the UK, they're recognizing that this is an epidemic that they actually have to walk through and to walk in. And so what in the world is going on? Here's what I can tell you. You and I are created for relationship. That's what we're created. Whether you believe in God or not, we are hardwired to belong in relationship with other human beings. In fact, uh, there is this movie that came out, I'm going to age myself a little bit, that still gets brought up and taught at sociology classes and um, some um, other kinds of classes that deal with this idea of how do we respond as humans when it comes to loneliness. Go ahead and check out the screen with me now. You wouldn't match by a chance, would you? The air got to it. I know you. I know you. So, 
It's a volleyball, and yet you can feel the emotion based on the emotion that he's going through, and it rises up to be like, wow, the suffering and loss based on the attachment that he developed out of his absolute hardwiring for human connection created an inhabited opportunity, inhabited object for an opportunity for him to have some pseudo form of relationship, and we've done the same thing with our phones. We have this idea that we're in relationship and we have this digital connection and we're finding that it actually is giving us a dopamine hit as if we're actually getting the connection, but it's actually leaving us worse off if that is one of the primary ways in which we find ourselves connecting. All the studies are saying this, and you can look that up for yourself. In fact, marketing people today, they understand how important this idea of connecting and belonging is hardwired in us. In fact, Seth Godin says this, the essence of all good marketing is people like us do things like us. That's what they're trying to do. They're saying, hey, you, know, you see these commercials and these pictures? Look, people like us belong, do things like us, so you're gonna wanna buy the thing or be a part of the thing so that you can feel the sense that you belong also. In fact, I need to back up a little bit and just describe what does belong mean. I love the Cambridge Dictionary version. To belong means a feeling of being happy or comfortable as part of a particular group and having a good relationship with the other members of the group because they welcome you and accept you. I love that because it's like two sides of the same coin. One is what you receive in the essence of belonging, but the other part is what your job is to do, help other people to feel like they're supposed to belong as well. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do something that we don't do ever here. And it's going to be a little awkward for some of you. And I understand, but you will suck it up and you'll be okay. Okay, so here's what I'm asking you to do. I am literally going to ask you, every single person here, to stand. And whether you're with someone or you're by yourself, to turn and talk to one person that you don't know as well. And I'm only going to do it for 60 seconds. And you need to answer these three questions, both of you interacting in 60 seconds. Here's the questions. What is your name? How long have you been at Valley Real Life? And what is a hobby or interest you have? And I know some of you extreme introverts are freaking out right now. You'll be okay. And we're gonna, so just so you know, I'm not going to be a liar. We're going to put 60 seconds on the clock. So go ahead and stand up. Go ahead and stand up. You got 60 seconds. Ready? Go.
All right, we are done. Go ahead and sit down. That was it. 60 seconds. You extroverted people, stop talking. I know some of you extroverts are like, yes! 60 seconds. That's all that was. Did you see what just happened? It was amazing to feel the energy in the room go up. 60 seconds. That's all it takes for a connection. That's all it takes to help somebody else feel or for you to feel like, wow, I just had an experience. Either I made somebody else feel good or I feel good. And like I said, it's not based on introverted and extroverted. A lot of times people think I'm more of an introverted person than extroverted, which means I would much rather have a one-on-one conversation than just be in large groups of people. You know, those of you extroverted people, I could never get you to stop talking if I let this go on. So I understand that as well. You're like, yes, this is why I'm here. And so thanks for going through that experiment because to belong to a relational Christ-centered group of people is the heart of Christianity. This is what it's about. We easily fall into Christianity thinking that it's about a me and God relationship. That's just me and him. In other words, I pray to God. I have quiet times or time in the God's word. I come to church. I listen. I check my kids in. I leave. And we think that this is what Christianity is about. The problem is we can fool ourselves into thinking as long as I'm good with God, it doesn't matter nearly as much, or at least it's secondary about other people because God forgives, God loves, God gives grace. This is also, by the way, where the idea of, um, I don't really need to go to a church. I don't need to be a part of a church service. I don't need to be a part of a group of people who call themselves Christians. You know, they're a bunch of hypocrites anyway. I, I can just watch online. Me and God are good. We're fine. We don't need to do this. Maybe you or somebody else has said that from time to time. And yet, the problem is that's not how God set it up. And so I don't have a lot of time, so I'm going to go pretty quickly. But there's some awesome stuff that I want you to hang with me as we go through this awesome understanding. Because following Jesus is primarily, primarily about we and God, not me and God. That is the heart of Christianity. We, not just me. In fact, let's just go back to the very beginning. Here's the Garden of Eden. Everything's perfect. God created everything perfect except for one thing. He says it's not good, that man is alone, Adam. Now that should make us stop, say, wait, wait, wait. He had perfect relationship with God. He walked with God in the garden. He was not alone. Secondly, he had all his furry friends, right? All those of us, myself included, who love our pets, and we connect with our pets, and there's nothing wrong with that. Adam had not only pets, but he had lion, tigers, and bears who didn't eat each other. Well, at least according to Chronicles of Narnia. I don't know if that's all true or not. But, you know, back in the garden, he had all of He got to name all the animals. Amazing the connection that Adam had with these animals. And he had a perfect relationship with God. And God says it's not good for him to be alone. So he creates Eve. And so God says, now this is good. Now, I'm not saying by any stretch of imagination that we're all wired to get married. The whole point is we're wired for relationship, hardwired. And when we don't experience deep relationship with other people, no matter how good this is, we are still going to feel alone because that's the way he wired us. In fact, if you want to kind of walk through a little bit, think about the Old Testament. There's all these commandments. People who think Christianity is about do's and don'ts. It's like over 400 of them in the Old Testament alone. But did you know that every single commandment from God has to do with relationship? 
either protecting or enhancing our relationship with him and other people. In fact, let's just use the big 10, you know, the 10 commandments. They're like, oh my gosh, here's the list of do's and don'ts. No, they're not. They're a list to enhance or protect relationship. One of the commands, don't put any other idols before me. Yeah, that would probably hurt relationship with God, wouldn't it? So he's like, hey, don't do something that's going to hinder our relationship by putting another God above our relationship. Yeah, that one makes sense. Uh, how about uh, honor your mother and father? And you're like, yeah, that actually is a good thing when it comes to healthy relationship between one another. Uh, how about this one? Do not murder. Yeah, that kills relationship. <laughs> Literally. You know, that, that destroys relationship. Don't kill. So you go through the list and you're like, oh yeah, every rule, every commandment is there to enhance or protect these two relationships. In the book of wisdom called Ecclesiastes, it says this in chapter four, verse nine, two people are better off than one for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help, but someone who falls alone is in real trouble. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. This isn't just a wisdom piece Jesus reaffirms this in Matthew 18, 20. For where two or three gathered together as my followers, I am there among them. What do you mean? You're not there when it's just me and you? No, he's not saying that. He's just saying there's a power that takes place when God's people are together with Jesus at the center. First Thessalonians 5, 11, So encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. Galatians 6, 2. Share each other's burdens and in this way you will obey the law of Christ. If you think you are too important to help someone, you're only fooling yourself you ain't that important. I love the Bible. It's just like, bam. You're like, you ain't, that, you ain't that important if you're not willing to help other people. Here's what you need to know. There's this phrase, one another or each other, depending on which version of the Bible that, you, that you're reading. It's mentioned over a hundred times in the New Testament. A hundred times. 59 of those times, they're direct commands from God and how we're supposed to treat and connect with each other. 59 times. You think, you think it matters to God, our relationship with each other? I can tell you this, our love for others is inseparably connected to our love for God. You cannot have one without the other. Uh, this, is a, this is a story I told a few weeks ago, but I want to kind of go just a little bit deeper and, and point something out here. Uh, one day, an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus, asking him this question, teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? Great question. And what Jesus tends to do is he likes to let us discover the answer by asking a question with a question. And he asks, Jesus asks, well, what does the law of Moses say? You remember all those commandments, those 400 or some? How do you read it? Well, the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength, and, not second, and love your neighbor as yourself. So he summed up all of the 400, like this is all about relationship with God and other people, and Jesus affirms the man's answer and says, right, do this and you will live. <laughs> But the man wanted to justify his actions because he knows he wasn't probably loving his neighbor as he should. So he wanted to clarify, now, who is my neighbor? So then Jesus tells him this good Samaritan story where the, a Jewish man is going from Jericho to Jerusalem. He gets beaten up, bandits come, rob everything he has and leaves him for half dead. Then, the, then Jesus says this, and this part that we kind of skip over. A priest comes by, sees his fellow Jew. You think if anybody's going to stop by, it's going to be a religious person. And he crosses the other side. Then a Levite, a temple worker, comes by, sees him bleeding on the side of the road, either dead, assumes whatever crosses by on the other side. The question you needed to ask, because Jesus is so specific, is why? Why in that culture 
would a priest or a Levite, nobody was shocked that Jesus would say a Levite or a priest actually went to the other side. In that culture, for a priest or a Levite temple worker to come into contact or connection with a man in that state or someone who was dead would have made them ceremonially unclean to do their duty and worship of God. So what Jesus just told us in the story is these two guys were prioritizing their duty and worship to God over helping someone in need. And they thought they were right, which is why they did it. And then a Samaritan comes along, and you, you know, we talked about a Samaritan last week in case you missed that, and comes along and bandages up the wounds, you know, helps the person out, gets into an inn, leaves money, and says, I'll come back and check on him. And so then Jesus goes back to the man, and he says this. He says, hey, now which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits? The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same powerful story. In fact, Jesus said this, and we say this verse around here a lot, so now I'm giving you a new commandment, love each other. That's not new. Just as I have loved you, that's what's new, so you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Jesus, you're wrong. My love of God is going to prove to the world that I'm your follower. My love of your word is going to prove to the world I'm your follower. My commitment and sacrifice is actually what's going to prove to the world that I'm your follower. And Jesus is like, no, all those things are important, but that's not what he said. He is saying, you want evidence of who I am to the world? It's how you're going to love one another. The 59 commands that I give you in the New Testament on how we love one another is what's going to show the world who I am. How much does God care about our relationship with each other? Jesus makes it even more clear in Matthew chapter 5, verse 23. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar, in other words, you're worshiping God, and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, that's a whole different sermon in and of itself. He says, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Jesus just said, prioritize your relationship with other people before you come worship me. Don't worship me and then go do that. He says, leave what you're doing and go care for this, then come back. It gets harder. Matthew chapter six, Jesus then goes on and says, if you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your father will not forgive your sins. Okay, Jesus, now you've gone too far, right? Are you saying that if I am unwilling to forgive other people, that no matter how good I am here, that you will not forgive me? That's exactly what he's saying. How important is our relationship with other people in the eyes of God? Okay, now I'm going to mess up some of you who've been Christians for a long time. Ready? This is, this is fun for me. Um, so here's what I want you to do. We read the Bible. But many of you do not realize that the majority of the YOUs, especially in the, in the New Testament, yous, are plural. If you reread the Bible starting today, realizing that most every time you read the word YOU, that it is not individual, even though it applies, it's plural, it will change so much of how you read the Bible. 
Because we should be like Southern Christians. Every time you see the word you, just say in your mind, y'all. You know, that'll help kind of spur it out of you. Because that is what the Greek is written in. It's plural, but we read it individually. And it's not wrong. It does apply to us individually. But all of a sudden, we reread different passages of Scripture thinking that this oh, just applies to me. And I'm like, oh, now the context is completely different now. Let me give you one example. Uh, how about the most famous prayer that's ever been given? The Lord's Prayer. What's the first word of the Lord's Prayer? Anybody? Our. So he says, our Father. The disciples come to Jesus and says, teach us to pray. And he says, all right, when you pray, y'all pray. He says, do this. Pray this prayer. Our Father. He doesn't say, when you go by yourself, pray this prayer, my Father. That's not what he says. Forgive us our sins. Give us our daily bread. You're like, whoa, that changes things. Now, I know some of you guys are like me, like, well, but, but Dan, how many times, many times are you read in the Bible, you know, that we're supposed to go into a room, close the door, and pray to our God who is unseen? How many times do we see Jesus withdraw from the crowds to spend time with his Father? I mean, shoot, Jesus took 40 days away from all people to spend time in the wilderness, connected by himself with God. And the answer is yes. But today I'm trying to make an overemphasized point that we usually miss as independent American Christians. And that is we focus on this not realizing how impactful this is when it comes to this. Here's what I know. I can't just try harder to love you. <laughs> I have a hard enough love in me. And I know how jacked up I am at times in different things. And I'm like, God, I need your strength, your perspective, and your power to help me see me the way you see me. And so we need to go to him for the strength and the power beyond ourselves to love others that we might have a hard time loving. John chapter 15, verse 5 says this. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. So we bear fruit. We're able to get this power when we connect to him. But you notice, for those of you who are reading that verse for the 100,000th time, it's a communal verse. Read it again. I am the vine, you, y'all, are the branches together. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, y'all can do nothing. Communal. Over and over. You're going to reread the scriptures now. You're going to see things you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea how important our connection is with other people. I think I did intuitively, but I didn't embrace it till about seven years ago. I used to tell my wife every four to five years, it just would come out. I'd be like, I think I'm kind of lonely. She'd be like, what are you talking about? You're a pastor. You meet with people all the time. You're in a life group. You're leading a life group. Why, why do you feel lonely? I said, I, I don't know. I don't know if I have any really deep friends, people who actually know me or would love me if I wasn't a pastor. I said, maybe that's on me. Maybe it's other people. But there's probably a combination you know, of all those things you know, together. Just to be able to process, mm, this just doesn't feel right. Well, that changed about six, seven years ago. When I met a guy in our church and I started to connect with him and we just got to be kind of real and authentic and transparent together. And then I did it with another guy and I'm like, wow, this is life giving and it's transforming. And then I started meeting with a group, even over this last year, about four of us, you know, in a morning midweek. And it's, and it's just, here's what I can tell you, as more of an introvert, there are many times I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to go. I have things to do. I've got things that need to get done. I'm like, this feels like it's going to create more stress. And here's what I can tell you. I have never walked away from that group feeling like it was a waste of time. It's always been filling. 
Now, why do I need that other group of people? I mean, I got my wife, right? I mean, we're really connected. So I don't want you to think, well, Dan and Carolina are having issues. You know, well, yes, we have issues at times, but we're fine. But here's what I realized. So men, just want to just, just tell you, do you know there's a couple things that Carolina is not good at helping me at? And she's okay me t- sharing this. Do you know where she's not good? Helping me discover what it's like to be a good husband. She's never been one. Weird, huh? You know, I need other guys who are in that boat, who are on that journey. Do you know what also Carolina's not good at? Being a dad. She's just not good at it. I'm sorry, Carolina, you're just not good at being a father. And so I need some other guys that can help me that I can actually go to to say, as this world continues to change, how do I navigate this now? And those who have Jesus at the center. It's not just friends, folks. It's those who have Jesus at the center. It's relationship with God as with other people. And it's easy to prioritize work. It's easy to prioritize everything else. And ladies, some of you ladies are just so more, more natural at this. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we got maybe the rib that we gave to you early on, you know, had the relational gene. I don't know what it is. But whatever it is, here's the heart of Christianity. It's to belong to Christ by belonging to Christ's people, Christ's community, which is called the church. This is how he set it up, not how I set it up. So let's get personal and let's get practical. What are my next steps to either be or make disciples who belong. And so I want to show you this chart. Ran out of time last week to show it to you. It's something we've kind of come up because I know that we are Americans and we need, well, what's the next step? What's the process? Give me the formula. Give me the chart. Here's your chart, okay? On the top left, you see B. On the top right, you see make. And then you see under B is accept, belong, contribute, disciple. And then there's a trajectory of what it looks like. And in this case, attend, join, and invite That's the three ways that God has revealed for us to put this concept, this biblical truth into practice. So let's unpack that really briefly with the time we have left. First, attend. What does that mean? It means to prioritize weekend services for your sake as well as for others' sake. Even if you're not getting out of it, you're there to give to it for the sake of other people. So I want to encourage you with this, is that there's something that happens when we rub shoulders with other people, even in this room. It's the first step of belonging. Uh, Don't believe me? Don't you remember COVID? You remember the isolation? Those of you who remember coming back those first several months where we came back in person, there were tears across the board at all the services on a regular basis because we didn't realize how much we missed this. Well, what's the difference? We're sitting in rows versus sitting in our couches. There is something. The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of his people, that we are called to bring a sacrifice of praise to our God. And there's something that happens when we take communion together, where we get the word commune or community is actually where we get that word as we take communion together. There's something that happens when you come in and you have interactions with people as little or as deep as they are, even the one minute interaction you just had a second ago. Whether it's by somebody in the greet, as you get greeted on the way in, or you're greeting somebody else, there is something that happens in the step of belonging that Christ wants you to experience. Now, for those of you who are parents who have elementary kids, this is even more essential. Do it for your kids' sake. This is their primary place that they have, if they're in elementary school, for a large group, but also small group. This is their chance. They have a large group time, but then they break up and they get their first experience of smaller groups and relationships with other boys and girls, the same age stage with Jesus at the center. 
So it's a huge priority. And for those of you who call this place your home, here's the encouragement and the challenge. I tell this to our staff all the time. Find and meet one new person every week. One new person. And you're like, well, how do we know they're new? I said, let me make it easy. New to you. That should make it a little easier. One new person who's new to you. You all just succeeded. I want to make the, you just stood up, you spent one minute, you did it. So well, well done, you accomplished this. But what if you who call Valley Real Life your home, you made a point to welcome other people and to have a one minute connection with somebody who's new to you? The number one thing that we hear at DNA, this is that you know, experience we talk about of what people like about Valley Real Life, always consistent, is we like how real, warm, and welcoming this place is. It's not because of the staff. Have you met some of our staff? You know, it's because of each other. When we do this together, we are the body of Christ. And what, what, watch what God does as we do this. So the first thing, again, is to attend. Prioritize weekend services for your and other people's sake. Second, join. Join a life group. Now, what is a life group? It is a small group of people that meet regularly, are authentic with each other, with Jesus at the center. That's what it looks like with Jesus at the center. So who do you have in your life who knows you, still loves you, but also loves God and wants to see God's best in you? It's not just, it's more than just friends. Do you have those people? Now, I know that there are many good reasons that you have given for why you don't want to be in a life group, okay? Like, here's what I've heard before. I've been in one, and it was terrible, and I never want to do that again. Totally get it. Good thing you don't take that posture in other parts of your life. I had a bad job experience. I'm never going to get a job again. I had a bad relationship once. I'm never going to be in a relationship again. No, no, you can't do that. So I'm just telling you, keep trying. You know, you'll find a group of people that work. Some of you guys say, well, I don't want to go to other people's houses. And you're exactly right. That can be very weird today. Most people say more and more and more, hey, let's get together. It's usually at a restaurant, at coffee shops. There's not a ton that's taking place, especially if you're new and meeting new people. So I get that that can be weird. Other people need childcare. So I understand like, well, they didn't have childcare. So I need to have childcare if I'm going to be in this group. Uh, my favorite one is I don't have time. Okay, I don't have time. Kelly Armstrong, uh, our pastor over at Riverside, he told me this quote this week. I'm Kelly, I'm giving you all the credit for this. He says, community, specifically relationships are hard on your schedule, but isolation is harder on your soul. Yeah, we'll keep him. He's good. Relationships are hard on your schedule, but isolation is harder on your soul. And it is true. So we can make time for the things that are actually going to fill us. So I want to encourage you when it comes to these times. Um, maybe some of you said, it's just, it's, it's, I just don't want to be in a group that's going to last forever. Right? Like if I get in a group, I'm stuck until Jesus' return. And these people are awkward, you know, and I don't want to be with awkward people. So we have the solution for you. So it's something we started. And that's called Starting Point. Starting Point is coming up in just a couple weeks. It is a great, if you are new, this is a great first experience because it's here at the church. So you have to go to somebody's house. Childcare is provided. So you have to worry about that. If you don't like the people, it's only seven weeks. So you can suffer through that. It's not till Jesus returns. And so it's a great opportunity to say, okay, I'll do this for seven weeks. Also, to be clear, it's every Sunday or Tuesday. It's not both. 
So you pick one. We, the reason we added two days is because one day was filling up really fast. So we're like, we better have two days because we know that this is a need. So what we're doing is saying, this is what the Bible has to say. We want to offer you an opportunity to get connected. And if you're new, that is a great place to be able to do that. Now, if you've been here for a little while and you're, waiting, you're ready to take the next step, you were given one of these cards as you came in. And on the card, all you need to do is fill this out. And then on the back, you'll see the different options of life groups. We have men's, women's, young adults. We have like three or four that's starting to explode the young adult groups in our group, in, in, our, in, our, in our church. And so we want to invite you, you know, who are young adults to be able to be a part of that. We got recovery care. And then middle school is on there because middle school also is moving to Sunday nights. And so Sunday nights, middle school is also kicking off October 1st. And uh, some of you guys, we've seen great success for high school and homes. So middle school, we're going to start here at the church. And so it's just a great opportunity for that to happen in case you have middle school students as well. So what you do is you fill this out and you take it to one of the tables. And you can either, based on your time, just drop it off. And there's a, there's a, a connecting point as well. You can do it there. And there's a starting point table if that's your first place that you want to get going. Or you can talk to somebody about it. Whatever is most comfortable and convenient for you, we want to say, here's the chance, here's the time, and here is the opportunity. So in fact, instead of just hearing from me, I want you to hear from a guy in our church who underestimated the value and importance of being in a life group, but then when he went through something, what this life group did to help come alongside him in his time of need. So go ahead and let's take a look at the screens now. Uh, my name is Andrew Arthur. I run a shop here at my house. I'm a pretty strong individual, rely on my own strength a lot, and uh, I've got involved in a Bible study, and it's been on my heart a lot to not rely on my own strength. So about a month ago, uh, I was working on trying to get my dad's truck running again and poured gas down the carburetor while he, my dad was cranking on the starter and it ignited. As it came out, it instantly lit my hand on fire with gasoline and then I tipped the bottle up. It spilled the rest of the gas that was in the bottle on the front of my shirt. So I was able to rip my shirt in half and, and get it off of me so that I wasn't on fire and was instantly thinking, this is really bad because I have a bad enough burn on my hand that I'm not going to be able to work. My group meets up on a Thursday evening and so I waited until they saw the bandage on my hand and then had to ask me, well, what happened? And I told them, well, I, you know, did something dumb. I got my hand lit on fire and second degree burns. And uh, throughout the next couple of weeks, they all offered individually. Each one of them contacted me and asked me if there was anything they could do to help me stay ahead and keep money coming in for my family. And it's just been really a big, big blessing to have people like that in my life. You know, the prayers of everybody that knew about it, I think helped it heal. You know, God worked a miracle because I should still be, should still be having trouble moving my hand. And I have full range of motion. You literally couldn't tell a month ago, I had, you know, second degree burns all over the back of my hand. I like our church. Um, it's easy to attend but you need life groups to sustain a deeper relationship. So if you're thinking of going and checking out a life group, please do. Can we thank him? Thank you so much, Andrew, for sharing that. 
So what we've said so far is the process of being and making disciples who belong is to first make sure you attend. Second, be willing to join a life group specifically. And third is invite. Invite others to join with you at services and in your life group. Uh, this is why we have invitations. This is a great first step of belonging is actually just to attend, which is why we have things like Trunk or Treat that's coming up and XP Weekend, which maybe is the reason some of you guys are here today because somebody invited your kid or invited you to be a part of this. But I want to encourage you to invite others. Uh, Jeremy, who is our group's lead, he tells me that uh, his first experience here was like six or seven years ago. And when he walked into the place, a guy by the name of Jeff Heineman started to reach out and, and, and greet him. And in the course of the conversation, he asked Jeremy, hey, Jeremy, are you in a life group? And that started the process for Jeremy to join his group and then to be in other groups. And now Jeremy's on staff overseeing groups. I'm not saying that's going to be your trajectory. Don't freak out on me now. I'm just saying this is the next step in the process that God gives. And so I want to encourage you, those of you who are in groups currently, I'm going to ask you to make room in your group for one more, one individual or one more couple. My question is, are you really full or are you just comfortable? Kind of like Thanksgiving meal, right? You know, you're just like, well, I'm, I'm kind of full, but I, I got enough for pie. I can take one more, you know, and so I'm going to encourage you to do that. But Dan, I love my group. We don't want to add any. We've just got what we just described. It's in my group. And I would just say back to you as lovingly as I can, aren't you glad that group didn't have that same mindset before you got in? Because that's what we have. We're like, well, well, that doesn't apply. I got my group, and so I don't want to listen to that part. Like, no, no, no. We're, we're always looking for, for one more. Can we add one more in this season? Invite someone who also needs to have the same experience that you have as well. In fact, one of the things that was a revelation to me is in my guys' group this week, uh, one of the guys um, said this phrase, and I just just been kind of marinating on it. This. He says, I feel close to God because I'm in this community. Because I'm in this group. Is that a right measuring stick? Is my closeness to God to be measured by my closeness to my community? And unequivocally, the answer is yes. You understand what he was saying? He had no idea that by focusing on prioritizing his relationship with other guys, with Jesus at the center, that his relationship with God would go to the next level. He thought it was vice versa. And he's found that the deeper he goes into community with Jesus at the center, with other people, the deeper his relationship with God becomes. And that's how he set it up. So let me pray. And then we're going to give you some time to be able to kind of just process through what God has said to you on this day. Jesus, thank you so much for today. Pray you would lead, guide, and direct our steps as we understand. But we also know we live in a culture and a world that wants to uh, prioritize individualism instead of community. And so help us to know how you wired and created us and what that means in our schedule, what that means in our connection with one another, with you at the center. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So as we wrap up today, I want to encourage those of you who have not yet connected to God to head to the cross. Scott would love to talk to you, be baptized maybe, that's your next step. Also, as we leave, you know, the, just want to remind you again what you do with this card you take it out into the lobby. You take it out to one of the tables that's out there. Uh, invite someone if you're in a group. You, maybe God is already leading you, you know, in, in this presence. Just so you know, it happened last service. A guy kept, grabbed me afterwards and he says, hey, you'll never believe this. I was just praying that maybe I should get into a guy's group. And he goes, a 72-year-old man came up and said, hey, are you in a group? 
And he's like, I've been looking for someone who is older to mentor me. And he goes, I've just found it. And it's because the guy was willing to invite somebody else to his men's group. So drop off this card. Uh, lastly, just want to continue to remind you that uh, we've got BOGO coffee going on and donuts. So uh, those of you who can wake up just a little bit earlier, 8 o'clock is for you. And no, we will not save any for 930. And we will not. We will hide them from you. We will give them to youth ministry, whatever we need to do. And so bring candy. we got trunk or treat coming up. So don't forget about that. So why don't we stand and uh, I'll close this in prayer. Father, thank you so much for these wonderful people. I know they're not here by accident. So I just pray whether you're, they're watching online or they're in the room that they would just take that next step to belong or to help someone else to belong. And so we love you as part of this discipleship journey with you at the center. Thank you for reminding us or revealing to us how important our relationship with one another is in your eyes. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a great week, guys. We'll see you next Sunday.